Welcome to We're the Slack Group's podcast. This week we're at our Pontville School joined by Lucy Hayes, Senior SEN Lawyer for IPSI, the Independent Parental Special Education Advice Service. Today we're going to be discussing the Education, Health and Care Plan, also known as EHCP. So Lucy, to start, can you tell us about IPSI, what it is that you do um, and who you offer your services to? So IPSI is a charity that provides free legal advice to the families of children and young people with special educational needs and disabilities. Um, our work centres around ensuring that children and young people with SEN get support, the support that they're legally entitled to in order for them to access education and we also take action against disability discrimination. The law provides that all children are entitled to a full-time education which meets their needs but as parents of children with SEN know it can be very difficult to get the support required and that's why we're here to assist those parents. Okay, so what's your role at Ipsy? As you mentioned, my, I, I'm the senior SEN lawyer, so I'm a solicitor and I worked in civil litigation and public law before specialising in education law. Um, our casework is mostly done by volunteers. We have helplines that are staffed by volunteers as well. And so I supervise the advice given by volunteers along with the rest of the legal team. And I also appear as an advocate before the Special Educational Needs and Disability Tribunal. Um, I coordinate IPSI's policy work, so we use the information gathered through our advice services to improve SEN policy at a local and national level. So I work with other stakeholders in the special education sector to highlight issues to individual local authorities and also to the Department for Education on a national level. Okay, so tell us, what is an EHCP? Um, an EHCP is an Education, Health and Care Plan. Um, it's a legal document which describes a child or young person's special educational needs, um, sets out the support that they need and the outcomes that they're aiming to achieve. Um, EHC plans are for children or young people, uh, which is from age zero up to age 25, um, who need more support than a mainstream school or college can provide out of their own resources. Okay. All children in a special school will have an EHC plan. Um, and the advantages of having an EHC plan are that once a child or young person has one, then the support written into that plan, so um, whatever the special educational provision is, has been decided that they need, that must be provided um, by the local authority. And so what that means is that an EHC plan can give a child or a young person extra educational support and funding and it also gives parents more choice about which school or other setting um, they would like the child to attend. Um, in order to get an EHC plan, that has to be first. There has to be an education, health, and care needs assessment before one can be issued. Okay. So, um, what does it cover? Um, it talks. It has a section setting out the views, interests, and aspirations of the child and his parents or the young person. Um, so, kind of what they're interested in and what they want to do in the future. And then the key parts of the plan set out their special educational needs, their SEN, yeah. and the provision required to meet those needs. And if the child also has health care needs or social care needs, it'll also set out those needs and then the health or social care provision needed to meet those needs. Um, and as I mentioned before, once this provision, so the, the support that's going to be given, once that's written into an EHC plan, then they've got a legal entitlement for that provision to be made. 
Um, it also sets out the outcomes sought for the child or young person. So that's kind of the aim of the provision that's been put in place, what it's hoping to achieve. Yeah. Um, it'll also name the school or the other institution to be attended. Um, and finally, if there's a personal budget or a direct payment, so that's money paid from the local authority directly to the parent in order for them to commission provision themselves, then the EHC plan will also give direct um, details of that. So why would a child need an EHCP? If they've got um, a learning difficulty or a disability, which is holding them back at school or at college or at nursery, um, then the parents of the child, or for a young person, so 16 or over, then the young person themselves, um, if they think that the school or college isn't able to provide the help and support that they need, then an EHC plan might be necessary. They're required when a mainstream setting isn't able to support the child or the young person out of their own resources. So that might be, for example, if they, um, if they need an additional member of staff to support them, which otherwise the school wouldn't be able to, to afford, or if they need a high level of intervention from an external professional like a speech and language therapist, which the school otherwise wouldn't, wouldn't be able to provide. Um, and for some children and young people, mainstream obviously isn't the right option. Yeah. And in that case, an EHC plan is needed in order for them to attend a, a special school because you have to have an EHC plan to go to a special school. Okay. And finally, EHC plans give greater choice about the setting, so the nursery school or college, um, whether mainstream or special, that a child or young person can attend. Um, because once you've got an EHC plan, you don't go through the normal admissions procedures um, once the school is named in an EHC plan, it has to admit that child or young person. So you essentially get priority over other children. OK, so who would parents approach for an EHCP? Um, as I mentioned just before, the first step is getting an EHC needs assessment. Yeah. And for that, you need to approach the local authority. Um, the parents can ask for an EHC needs assessment and so can a school or a post-16 setting. And you have to go to the local authority and ask for that. Um, and then the local authority have to carry one out if they decide that the child or young person has or may have special educational needs and they may require special educational provision to be made through an EHC plan. So that, that's a two-part test and that's the only test that's set out in the law, sometimes local authorities will try and impose higher barriers to, to be able to get an EHC needs assessment. But that's what the law says and that's all you need to show. Okay. Um, okay, so can you explain to us what the legal time frame is for an EHCP? Um, so once you've made... A request, yeah. then the local authority have to respond within six weeks. Okay. Um, and after the request, the next step is um, carrying out the assessment. And in the assessment, they'll approach various different people for advice and information. And that process um, should take essentially another... They've got six weeks in which to get that information. Okay. But from the date of initially asking for the assessment... The local authority have to decide whether or not they're going to issue an EHC plan before 16 weeks has passed. And if they're going to issue, if they decide that they are going to issue an EHC plan, then the final EHC plan needs to be issued within 20 weeks. So 20 weeks is a kind of total timescale from the first request 
up to the final plan being issued. Okay, so um, in the EHCP, parents and carers need to name a school. How does this process work? Um, so a parent has a right to request... They've got a, a right to request particular types of school or college, um, and that those types are a, a maintained school or nursery. So maintained means it's uh, run by the local authority, what you might call a state school, yeah. and that's either mainstream or special. Um, they can also request an academy, and there are both mainstream and special academies, um, or an institution within the further education sector, so a college essentially. Um, and then there are two other types uh, of semi-independent school, which are called non-maintained special schools and Section 41 special schools. And Pontville School, where we are at the moment, that's a Section 41 school. Um, these types of schools are set out in Section 38.3 of the Children and Families Act. And so for all of those types of schools, um, the parent has a right to request it, and the local authority can only refuse that request if the setting is unsuitable for yeah. the age, ability, aptitude or SEN of the child, or if the attendance of that child would be incompatible with the provision of efficient education of others, so it would somehow disrupt other children's education. And that, that sometimes is used if the school is really full. They'll say we can't take another child because it would be disruptive. Um, or the final reason they're allowed to refuse is if the attendance of the child or young person would be incompatible with the efficient use of resources. Um, and that essentially means if it's too expensive. But it is worth noting that if, you're, if the local authority is saying that a school is too expensive, they need to be proposing something suitable yeah. that is cheaper. They can't just say that's too expensive and not offer anything else. They can only start talking about one school being too expensive if they've got something else suitable to offer. Um, and so once the parent has requested a school, um, that will normally happen at the point where you've been given the draft EHC plan and, um, and the local authority will give the parents an opportunity to request a particular school. Um, if they don't agree to name it and they finalise the plan and either don't name a school at all or, um, or name a different school, then you can appeal to what's called the SEND Tribunal. So that's a specialist tribunal that deals with disputes between um, local authorities and parents about special needs provision. Um, another point that parents should be aware of is if they want to go to a, if they want their child to go to a mainstream school, um, then there's a strong presumption in the law in favour of the child being able to go to mainstream. So they have, if, if a parent asks for a mainstream school, the local authority has to name it unless it's incompatible with the provision of efficient education of others and there's no reasonable steps that the, lo that the local authority or the school could take to prevent that incompatibility. Obviously, for some parents, they'll be, they'll be looking to get a special school, so that's not relevant. But if you do want a mainstream school, there's, um, the, you've got a strong right in the law to ask for that if that's what you want. And finally, if you want a independent setting, so not a Section 41 school or a non-maintained special school, but a wholly independent setting, um, then parents have a right to... They, they can make representations for that so that means yeah. they can ask for and argue the reasons for getting an independent setting but it's a bit more difficult to do that because the parents need to prove that 
none of the schools or local authorities offering could meet need and that it's not unreasonable public expenditure, so it's not unreasonably expensive. Whereas for the other types of school, the the starting point is that the school that the parent requests should be named and the local authority has to has to prove why it shouldn't. Whereas with an independent school, the the onus is on the parents to prove why it should be named. Okay. So let's talk about the actual EHCP. What should a good EHCP contain? One of the most important things is that it's clear and easy to understand. So any professional working with the child, be that a teacher or a therapist, they should be able to pick it up and understand what the child's needs are and what they need to be able to do to support that child. The key things to look out for for a good EHC plan are that all of the child's needs, all of their special educational needs, are set out in section B of the plan, and that all of the provision that is required to meet those needs, so any extra help that they need with learning, um, that's set out in section F. And then also that the place that's going to be attended, the school or college, that's in section I, because in some some plans it won't actually name a specific school, it'll just say you know, a mainstream secondary, and obviously it's preferable for it to name a particular school. And the reasons you want sections B and F to be detailed and specific is because if there's a need included in section B, then there has to be provision for that need set out in section F. And if there's provision set out in section F, then the local authority has to make sure that that provision is made. So that's where the legal entitlement to support comes from. Um, and once it's written into the plan, yeah. then the only relevant issue is whether that provision is necessary to meet the needs. The How much it costs or the resources available to the local authority, that's not relevant. It's only whether it's required to meet the needs as set out in the plan. And so once it's written in there, that that gives you the, these kind of legally enforceable rights that are kind of the really important part of getting the plan. And that's why it's so important for it to be specific. And it's also worth noting that special educational provision is anything that educates or trains a child or a young person. Um, so that can actually include therapies which the health service or social services might might provide, like speech and language therapy. Um There's a part of the Code of Practice, so the Special Needs and Disability Code of Practice is statutory guidance issued by the government, and that says um, that since communication is so fundamental in education, addressing speech and language impairment should normally be recorded as special educational provision, unless there are exceptional reasons for not doing so. And that can also cover things like occupational therapy, physiotherapy um, and cognitive behavioural therapy. And finally, another thing to look out for is that it should be clear which section of the plan is which. Um, They should be kept separate so you understand, you know, which bit's educational, which bit's social care. But sometimes local authorities will combine them together, which can be really confusing for parents. So if you have a look at the plan and you don't understand what it's saying and it's not clear what's, you know, what's education, what's social care, what's health care then you want to be going back to the local authority and saying, this isn't clear enough, it needs to be made more clear and more specific. Okay, so you've touched on this a little. Um, Can you just um, reiterate how specific does an EHCP need to be and why? (laughs) 
Um, so it needs to be detailed, specific, and what's to- what's called quantified. So that means it needs to be clear um, the how much time is going to be spent on something. So the type of provision that's going to be required, how often, how regularly, and who's going to provide it. So, you know, it, can it be a TA providing this or does it need to be a therapist of some kind? Um, and it should be clear from looking at section F of the EHC plan who, what, when and how long in relation to every element of the special educational provision that's in there. And the reason why that's important is because if it's unclear, then you don't know exactly what should be provided for that child or young person. Can you give us an example of that? Yeah, yeah. So um, if, if there was a child that had sensory needs and the plan said in Section F that they should have access to a sensory room. Yeah. That's not really specific enough because, you know, how often do they need to have access to it? Do they need to go to a school where there is a sensory room or can they just be taken to somewhere where there is a sensory room once a term? If actually what they need is to every day have some time out in a sensory area where they can, you know offload a bit and calm down then that it needs to be that specific in the plan so you'd want it to say this child needs to attend a setting that has a quiet sensory room available yeah for this child to attend at least once a day for this amount of time that's what you'd be looking for in the plan brilliant okay so let's talk about the review process Mm -hmm. when should um the ehcp be reviewed um, there the should be at least one review a year, which is called the annual review. And yeah. that's the statutory process of looking at the needs and provision and deciding whether they need to change or whether that whether it's still fine as it is. Um, the first review of an EHC plan has to be held within 12 months of it first being issued. Yeah. And then any subsequent reviews have to be within 12 months of the previous review. Um, it's the local authority's duty to make sure this happens, but actually, in practice, the school will actually, you know, host the meeting and kind of um, carry out the evidence gathering beforehand. But if if there was a delay in this happening, it's the local authority who have kind of the legal duty to make sure that it happens. And in terms of what that involves, um, first, the local authority or the school should. Um, talk to the parents um, or to the young person um, and also with the school or college, whichever it is that the um, child or young person is attending. Um, Talk to them about how the EHC plan has been working, whether the support seems right and um, take into account their views, wishes and feelings. And then there has to be a meeting which will be attended by um, various people from education, health and social care, depending on the needs of the child or young person. Um, Because health and social care also need to feed into this review process. Um, And then at the meeting, they'll discuss the information they've got from these various different people. So from education, health and social care, um, but also from the parents or the young person. Um, And after you've had a meeting to discuss that, then the local authority should go away and review the EHC plan by seeing if there's anything that needs to be changed. And then the point that that ends the process is the local authority notifying the parents um, what they've decided to do. And they can make three decisions. They can either keep the EHC plan as it is, so not make any changes, 
or they can decide to amend the EHC plan. And if they decide to do that, then they need to send the parents a draft of the amendments that they want to make. And then the final option is to cease the EHC plan if they think it's no longer necessary for it to be in place. Um, Whichever decision the local authority makes, the parents have a right to appeal against that decision to the SEND tribunal. Okay. Um, So essentially what that means is that every annual review is an opportunity to ask for any changes that you want made to the plan, including if the amount of provision or the placement needs to change. Every year you've got an opportunity to raise those issues with the local authority. And if they don't agree to the changes that you want, then you can appeal against that. Okay, but if there are significant changes before the renewal, who do parents and carers go to? So if... So if they wanted changes made, but it was still a long time until the next annual review, um, then you can ask for an early review. um, And you could ask for one of those if you think that the the needs have changed or that the EHC plan no longer accurately describes the needs um, or that the provision is no longer meeting the child or young person's needs. Um, So, for example, if a child or young person was excluded from school or was at risk of exclusion, then that that would probably be a good reason to ask for an early review because it's clear that there's something going wrong in terms of the provision that they're getting. Um, But you can ask for an early review at any time as long as you've got a reason to do that. So you just need to say, you know, I'd like to be an early review and give your reasons, you know, for whatever reason you think that the needs have changed or that the provision needs to change. Um, and, I mean, a first step would always be talking to the school about your concerns, so the SEMCO, um, the class teachers or the head teacher, as well as talking to the local authority about it. Um, and if the local authority refuse, so if they say, no, we don't want to do an early review, yeah. um, you can't appeal about against that, but there are a few options that you could take. Um, so you could just wait until the next annual review, which, you know, might not be satisfactory if you feel like there's an urgent change that's needed. Um, You could get together more evidence to show that the needs have changed or the provision needs to change um, and then make another request for an early review. Or finally, if if it's appropriate given the situation, you could request a reassessment of the child or young person's education, health and care needs. So that would essentially be a new EHC needs assessment. And... You can ask for one of those if you think that the the needs have changed to such an extent that the evidence that you got for the original EHC plan is just no longer relevant anymore because it's either so out of date or because their needs have changed in some way that it it just doesn't describe how how that child is anymore. And if you ask for a reassessment, if the local authority refuses, then you can appeal against that. So that's a decision that you can actually challenge. Okay. So, finally, where do parents go for support? So, every local authority in the country um, has a duty to provide information and support to parents to enable them to participate in decisions about their child's special educational support and things like that. And as part of that, um, everyone, every local authority should have an information advice and support service, which is sometimes called IAS or SENDIAS. Um, they give free advice and support um, to help parents with any questions about special needs support or EHC plans. Um, depending on your child's needs, there are also specific charities which could help. 
such as the National Deaf Children's Society or the National Autistic Society, they have their own helplines that give specific advice to the parents of children with those needs. Okay. Um, if you're on a low income and you need to appeal to the SEND tribunal, then you might also be able to get legal aid, so you can check that online whether you qualify for it. And finally, Ipsy, of course, um, runs a telephone helpline, and we've also we can also offer support for some appeals to the tribunal. And we've got a lot of useful information on our website, which is just ipsy.org.uk. Um, so I'd recommend anybody that thinks that they might need support from us have a look on our website, and if you can't find your answer, then you can find details for how to make an appointment on there. Okay, so um, that brings us to the end of this podcast. Thank you for joining us, Lucy. Um, you can listen to more support and advice from our experts by visiting our website www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash podcast. Thank you.